God was working in the lives of the people of Israel. They had been slaves for 430 years. And to now become a nation, to become a fighting force, to be able to uh, have an effective uh, national life was quite the challenge. But even more than that, to bring these people into a genuine relationship with Jehovah God uh, was really the key issue. And you see in these chapters the, uh, just the immaturity, the lack of understanding, uh, and their need to fully uh, get a hold of who God really is. And the, one of the things that the Lord wanted to teach them is that he was a God that was a covenant-keeping God. When God makes a promise, he means to keep it. Charles Spurgeon, speaking about this, said, God never gives his children a promise which he does not intend for them to use. There are some promises in the Bible which I've never yet used, he says, but I am well assured that there will come times of trial and trouble when I shall find that these poor despised promises, which I never thought were meant for me, will be the only ones in which I can float. Very practical perspective. You're, I'm sure, familiar with uh, Hudson Taylor's wonderful statement, we have 25 cents, they were down to nothing, and all the promises of God. Well, this is what Israel needed to learn. God had made promises and was going to make promises, and they needed to depend upon that. And when he began to give the law, of course, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, then chapter 20, and then the extended law, this was meant for them to learn of who he is, his great attributes, and to enable them to fully appreciate who they were and what God had planned for them. So this chapter is very important in the preparation for them to understand God meant business, but it was for their good. It's because he loved them. So chapter 19 of Exodus, we're looking at that here uh, tonight. Uh, now let me just, uh, we'll read the first verse and uh, make a uh, some background comments here. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. So exactly three months after the exodus, the Israelites entered the desert or the wilderness of Sinai and camped by the mount, Mount Sinai. And I'm again not going to go into all of the uh, issues about which mount is that. Uh, we'll just take the traditional mount at this point. Remember that Mount Sinai was Horeb also, that's another name for it, and that's where Moses met God when he was in the burning bush. So this was a very significant place for Moses to go. Now, according to Numbers 10, verse 11, they would stay for 11 months right here, 11 months. And it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony, speaking of when they left Mount Sinai. Now, before I get into this making of a covenant, let me give you a little background here. 
God uh, was following through on a covenant he had made uh, almost five centuries before. You remember the man named Abraham? Uh, they, of course, looked at their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, we read in Genesis 15, 13, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. He made that prophecy. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And oh, did he at the Exodus. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. And they did. Now, folks, the Bible is just filled with literal fulfillment of prophecy. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace and shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. It wasn't time yet. God was just and fair in dealing with the Canaanites that were in the land. And then you go to Exodus now, 400 plus years later. Oh, actually, uh, nearly 500 years later from that, and we read in Exodus 2, verse 24, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, and Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Folks, that's our God. He will keep His promises. Now I'm going to go ahead and read this. You can turn just a few pages back if you'd like to follow me in Exodus chapter 6. This is where he met with Moses right in this same place. And so I, I want you to note that of Exodus chapter 6 verse 4. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord, that's Jehovah your God, which bringeth you out from under the burden, uh, burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land concerning the which I swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for it a heritage. I am the Lord. Centuries after God literally fulfilled what he had said. And so let's look here at the promise of God here, first of all, that uh, he makes. And he reminds them of these very things. In verse 2, For they departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before them out. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. So he wants them to remember the fact that he kept his promises. 
Um, he delivered them miraculously from the Egyptians. Now to Abraham and then of course to Moses before it happened, he said there was going to be great wonders that the nation was going to be overcome. And of course Egypt, uh, even back at the time of Abraham, they, Abraham couldn't have imagined how powerful Egypt was at that time. And to think that God overcame uh, Egypt, he did exactly what he said. Folks, there is nothing too big for God. There's nothing he cannot do. If he said he will do it, he will do it. And that's why, first of all, you can rest on the promise of your salvation. That's a done deal. If you put your faith alone in Christ, don't let any doubts come up. He will keep his promise. But all the other things that go in our Christian uh, life. And uh, he has protected them even when they would uh, have fallen. And they need, when they needed water, he gave them water. When they needed food, he gave them food. They, they received manna that very morning. Uh, when they had a war, God overcame them. When they were discouraged, He encouraged them. And, uh, and He says, I bear you, when I delivered you from the Egyptians, I bear you on eagles' wings. Now, you notice the personal touch here. God is going to give them some very major things, some, some thou shalt nots that reveal who He is. But He wants them to realize that He's a God that personally has cared like a, an eagle, uh, that majestic bird, when it carries its young, uh, it will take them out of the nest and carry them and then drop them and cause them to fly and then swoop under them uh, if they struggle and pick them back up. On, carry them on eagle's wings. And it's a beautiful picture of how the Lord says at uh, he said, I bear you on eagle's wings, I, and I brought you unto myself. I have taken you as a people. I am keeping my word, and I am very tenderly working and caring about every part of your life. Now remember, we apply what God says to Israel to us as an individual believer. Folks, he carries you on eagle's wings. It's a wonderful thing. You remember when the Lord wept over Jerusalem, he said, I would have protected you like a hen will protect her chickens, if, uh, but you would not. That's the heart of our God. Jesus wept. Uh, he very much wants that personal relationship with us and is constantly working uh, to meet our needs and to protect us. And uh, just keep that in mind. When you feel like you're just sort of falling at some point, just, ah, well, remember, just like the, the mighty eagle comes underneath and protects, that's our God. And he is right there personally. He doesn't forget one of us. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And he did it for a relationship. I brought you unto myself. Now, this is a covenant. It's very interesting uh, you have in verse 3, the second part of verse 3, a preamble, a summons by God. And he's talking here to Moses, who is going to give this covenant to Israel. And he does it in the old ancient format of covenants here. And so that makes this a very serious interaction with God. And Moses went up into the Mount of God. I think Moses had no doubt he was going to meet with God because that's exactly where he met with him. 
when he was there and he turned aside to the burning bush and God revealed who he was, I am that I am, and told him to go to, to, uh, uh, to Egypt. That's got to be a very special moment when Moses came back to Mount Sinai. And behind him are two million people. Oh my, God did it. That's a miracle in itself. Just an amazing thing. God kept his word. And now God speaks to him. And uh, so he says, I want you to say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. I want to summon them. And then you have a historical prologue, verse 4. Ye have seen uh, what I did unto the Egyptians. And I, as I just mentioned, I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. And then you have the stipulations in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then the blessing that will come if you follow the stipulation, then ye shall be a peculiar people unto me and all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then you have to have the acceptance, which we'll look at in a moment. So you have the different elements here of a very simple but straightforward covenant of God, Jehovah God, with his people. And, and so let's just look at this for a minute. What's the condition? Obedience. Now, we're going to see the result is a personal relationship. God was going to be their God. But he said, you need to show faith in me by depending upon me to obey. And you, if you shall obey my voice and keep my covenant. And this is clearly God's work. And even in this, it shows a dependence. You've got to believe in me. And the result would be that they would be a peculiar treasure. Uh, don't you love that? Now, does God love the whole world? Yes, he does. But he had chosen Israel to be a peculiar treasure. Now, people that were spiritual, spiritually sensitive at this moment, that would have gotten to them. Because God was saying, I am valuing you in a very special way. Now, let me ask you, in 2022, can you still look at the Jewish people and just sense that they are something special? Now, we're all equal, Gentile, Jew alike. And unfortunately, many dear Jewish folks have rejected their Messiah. But there is just something about it. Like, for instance, when Brother Rotman gave his testimony, there was something a little more oomph to Well, of course, he just oomphs things anyway. But uh, there was something about it because he comes out of the Jewish background. And he, he met his covenant-keeping God, Jehovah God. There's just something that stirs you every time you hear that testimony. We'll be having, over, uh, in the uh, next few months, we're going to be having uh, Brother Craig Hartman back and, uh, uh, from Shalom Ministries. And I just love to hear his testimony, saved as a lawyer out of a strong Jewish background. Uh, and the Jewish people have suffered greatly because of their unbelief, but they are God's peculiar treasure. And God has not forgotten them. Do not dismiss the Jewish people. They're the only ancient people that are still a people. The greatest proof of the reliability of the Word of God is the peculiar treasure of Israel. Even with Satan's vicious attacks over and over throughout history, 
they're still here. And, um, and so it's an amazing thing. And God wants us individually to be a peculiar people, Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And uh, they would be a kingdom of priests, first of all, of course, in, the, um, in Israel, you'd have the priesthood. That was going to be the place that people would meet with God. You would have the first the tabernacle and then the temple and the Holy of Holies where the Shekinah glory would be. And God had a pres- would give a prescribed way for the priest to offer sacrifices and then for the high priest to go in on the Day of Atonement one day a year to make atonement for his people. And frankly, the whole world was to come, the court of the Gentiles, to worship. Uh, and so... Uh, Israel was a kingdom of priests. They had the real priesthood, plus they themselves were to be mediators and uh, pray for the entire world. And they certainly became that. Does that sound familiar for us as individual believers? 1 Peter 2.6, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so you have this wonderful love that God has for individual believers uh, that we, we indeed have the privilege of going directly to the uh, Holy of Holies. The Spirit of God is in us. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And uh, we don't have to go through a mediator. Uh, we can go directly. Isn't that amazing? And we can pray for others and intercede for others by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we are a kingdom of priests ourselves. And that is a very precious thing that, you know, the Old Testament saints, if they could have known what we take for granted, they would have been overwhelmed. If you had devotions this morning, you went to the Holy Holies. That was an awe-inspiring thought. Once a year, one man, and if he didn't do it right, he'd die. We take it so tritely. We've got to have our devotions. Oh, what a tragic thing. What a privilege to walk with God. What an amazing thing to be his peculiar treasure, his treasure, and to be able to go right into his presence. Uh, It's a wonderful thing. And they were going to be then a holy, set-apart nation, 1 Peter 2.9, that same chapter. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. God wanted Israel to show forth the glory of God. And God wants us as individual Christians and, of course, collectively as a church. I mean, this world needs to know that he lives. We meet with God and that we know that he is alive and that we are experiencing his power. Same kind of burden should be upon us. And so this would be the result of the covenant that he made. He said, I have done this for you and I want you all to hear this. And if you will obey my voice and you will keep my covenant, then I will have you as my special treasure. Now, folks, that should have so burned into the hearts of the people of Israel, they never would have turned, should have turned back. That is the most marvelous thing. Can you imagine to hear from God and have him tell you that directly? And they're actually going to see some manifestations of God here. And this should have just stirred them deeply that God had chosen them out of all the peoples 
uh, you have uh, uh, the you have all the different aspects that of, of that those early civilizations that had come from Noah, and uh, God had uh, had out of the line of uh, Shem had then brought down to Abraham, and now you have the nation of Israel, and God had done that. What a special blessing! And folks, remember that we have to trust Christ by faith. It's not because we're better than anyone else that we are a peculiar treasure. It's because of what Jesus did. And I'm telling you, we ought to rejoice. This is amazing. You look around, people, uh, just all kinds of dear people everywhere, not knowing where they're going, aimless in their lives, and we know God. Uh, that ought to just thrill us and also stir us about the deed of the hour. Well, what kind of response did the people have to the covenant? The response of the people here, if you look with me at verse 7. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. Now it's interesting, the covenant is laid out unto the elders. Why is that? Well, they needed to understand and they themselves needed to take fully to heart this wonderful interaction with God for they would have to lead the people to obey and they would have to in particular execute the conditions to have the theocracy, this nation led by God, function. So he starts with the elders. And folks, anyone who has leadership really needs to understand the importance of that leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. We know that statement. And uh, that's why dads who lead their homes need to know the covenant of their God. And all of us that have anything to do in leading uh, the church of the living God need to realize what a sacred responsibility it is to lead people to the Lord. And so often as it's been said, people's minds are changed through observation, not through argument. In other words, we as leadership in whatever capacity need to so know the Word of God that we live it and we're able to, to give it in a living way. And because of that, we don't know what exactly transpired here because first it was given to the elders and was there a time gap? We don't know. But then we read in verse 8 that the people in unison agreed to the conditions of the covenant. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses, as a mediator, returned to the words of the people unto the Lord. That was a wonderful thing. Can you imagine a, a unison choral response of two million people? That'd be pretty neat. We will do it. I don't know how it was. Evidently, the elders somehow communicated. By the way, Moses may have had a powerful voice, but unless God supernaturally empowered him, he couldn't speak to too many people. So what happened here was that the leaders of all the different tribes took the covenant, which we assume here they had agreed to, and they went and so stated it in a in the right way to the different corners of that huge crowd that there was a full unison response at that moment. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if Israel had stayed that way? 
Boy, history would be different, wouldn't it? But, uh, and again, trying to apply this to us, we need to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, speaking of the work we are to walk worthy of the Lord. Now, obviously, the Lord knew that there would be problems ahead. So we see here in this matter of the covenant, God reinforces the leadership, Moses in particular, and gives his divine sanction. So the people understood that he accepted the covenant and that they needed to follow this man that had been designated by God to be the leader. If you look with me at verse 9, Moses had returned and given the answer to the Lord wherever he met with him on the mount and said that in unison they have said, we will keep this covenant, we will keep your words. And then the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And so something happened here, and, and also you have a little bit later, but some cloud of glory occurred wherever Moses was, and they could hear, they could hear the response of God, whether they could understand it verbally they understood he was being spoken to by God. And what's the reason that he says that he did it that way? So they would know that Moses was speaking for God. Now, oh, there's so many applications. But dads, I tell you, we ought to go to the mount, meet with the Lord, come back with the Shekinah glory, as 2 Corinthians 3 says, and when we speak, it ought to be clear we're speaking for the Lord because we've met with him. Think about it. Uh, I tell you what, I, I respected my father. And my dad expected us to do right, and he taught us the word of God, but it was not mundane. It was not perfunctory. It was not overbearing. He talked with the reality of God in his countenance and his voice. And I can't tell you how many times just sitting at a simple kitchen table or a dining room table, I realized I was listening to the voice of God. Now, I wasn't thinking God was speaking, but I knew there was the touch of God upon my father and upon my mother. And folks, you don't have to be a special person for that. Moses, God just chose him. God trained him. God did some special things, but it wasn't that he was more worthy than anyone else. But he trusted God. God, let, he had, God worked him over the 40 years in the wilderness, 40 year, the time where uh, he went through everything there with the uh, people in, the, in Egypt. Uh, but these people, God did this on purpose. He said, I will strengthen your leadership. And let me just say, any dad, mother, spiritual leader, any position that you're in, if you'll walk with God and if you'll meet with God, God will give you leadership. It will come spiritually, not by demanding it but by living it and just clearly stating what the Word of God says. So I think that's a wonderful thing. Uh, God gave, for instance, in Acts chapter 4, um, you know, God revealed His presence in the cloud of glory to the people, but God did it even when all the leaders were gathering together 
there in Acts chapter 4, and they prayed together, and what happened? Uh, they were all filled with boldness. The place was shaken. What was uh, happening to the people? They were seeing this is of God. You know, we have a generation that wonders where God is. I'm talking about within the church, churches across America. Listen, he's as present as he ever was if we'll, if we'll seek his face. It is our responsibility, men, here in this church. It's our responsibility, parents. It is our responsibility in whatever capacity we have to so know our God that there's no doubt to the younger generation that God is alive and he is in heaven. And this word is true. So God was very concerned about that. And so God speaks to them. He reinforced, uh, uh, he spoke to them through that cloud and through Moses. And uh, he did something supernatural there and he authenticated the message of Moses. All right, then we see the requirements to receive the covenant. Look at verse 10. We'll just go through this quickly here, but I want you to see it in context here. And the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people. Now he's preparing them for the fact he's going to go into the mount and he's going to get some very precious truths from God. And the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. Whoa, that's some pretty heavy-duty instructions, isn't it? Uh, he's saying, all right, I am going to now... In keeping with my covenant, um, I am going to cause you to realize how sacred this is. And so there's some requirements. You need to have an understanding of holiness. That was our emphasis in the service tonight. As 1 Peter 1.15 reiterates what was given in the Pentateuch, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation lifestyle, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Listen, the holiness of God is the glory of God. He is set apart from all else. Everything we enjoy, everything that's good comes out of his holiness. And we need to turn our back on the unholiness of this world that Satan brings and realize that as we serve God, this matter of, of having a holy lifestyle is crucial. And here, that third day, they were to make sure that they, they sanctified them, themselves. They were to even wash their clothes. They were to be uh, very clearly in full reverence to God. And they were not to even get near the mount. They were not to touch the border of it. Because if they did, they would be stoned and God would cause them to die. This was going to be a manifestation of the presence of God because God wanted uh, to, uh, to help them. And this helps also because uh, he wants to reinforce their understanding of their own unworthiness. Um, it, they were a peculiar treasure not because they earned it, but because God chose them. And so God revealed his presence, a revelation of God's presence. I love this. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be 
ready against the third day, come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning. This would have been something else. That there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of a trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Now, I, I don't have the words to try to explain what this was like. But a dark cloud came over Mount Sinai and there was thunder, but not thunder like we normally hear. I was driving back from Chicago a couple days ago and I had lightning strike right over and then that boom immediately. Uh, that sort of shakes you up a little bit. And um, well, this was just that kind of a major sound. But the thing that marked it was the sound of a divine trumpet that was so powerful that all the two million people it was like that trumpet was right there and it shook them every person was trembling you couldn't escape the the reality of God what was happening to the mount there was an earthquake going on the lightning was flashing there was thunder that was just amazing and yet over that thunder was a trumpet sound that was coming from heaven itself and so everyone was trembling at the reality that God was there and folks you know it's very important for us at times to realize as much as we talk about the love of God and we should and it's been glorious to talk about it and we talk about how we can have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother that friend is God Almighty and he is fully and completely holy. That's why we need to realize that God wants us to be holy by God's grace as he is holy. That's why our worship of him must not be trite. That's why we don't use the world's music up here. That's why we don't joke about Bible verses. That's why we don't make light of God. My friends, as much as he has revealed himself to us and wants an intimate relationship, God is God. He is all-powerful. And we at sometimes we just need to tremble at his presence. There have been times when God's worked in my heart and I just, just the reality of God was so so major that you couldn't help but tremble. You, you knew you, you were gloriously filled with the love of God, but just the reality of his power and his presence. That's what God wanted them to understand. And, uh, and so that was what was, was happening here. It was an amazing moment. And remember, if you were to see God in his holiness, you could not live one nanosecond. You'd be gone. And so uh, it's amazing we're alive today. God holds back that. But his holiness does mean that he has to judge sin. And there is a real hell, folks. Don't ever try to lighten that. And we need a mediator. And we need the cleansing. We've been talking about what Christ did on the cross. And uh, we need to understand that. And so verse 17, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. Can you imagine two million plus people in that awe-inspiring moment sensing the presence of God? I want to remind you in a few days they were dancing around a golden idol. You see, it isn't just the manifestation of God that changes you. It is by faith accepting what he says and letting him change your life that makes the difference. 
I want you to keep this in mind when we get into later chapters here. This book is a real revelation of how God has to keep working in our lives. Isn't it amazing how patient God is with us? You, don't you think this should have done it for generations? Well, don't you think the plagues in Egypt should have done it for generations? We are so self-centered. We are so filled with what we want. We are by nature rebels. Satan is so powerful. We listen to him. It is amazing what God's people who know God will do uh, when they fall to that kind of temptation. But you know, you don't have to. Aren't you glad we have the Spirit of God? And I tell you, if God's shaken you in your life, uh, then you can stay right there. You can just keep growing and be what you ought to be. But we need to have a tremendous fear of God. And Mount Sinai was all together on a smoke on, uh, because the Lord descended upon it in a fire and the smoke there ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai uh, on the top of the mount and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount and Moses went up and the Lord said unto Moses go down charge the people lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze and many of them perish and let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves lest the Lord break forth upon them and Moses said unto the Lord the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest, saying, that set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up into the, unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon him. So Moses went down to the people and spake unto them. Isn't that interesting? He had put bounds around. <laughs> and the Lord says, I don't trust the people. Curiosity. People go where they ought not go. By the way, isn't there that perverse reaction when you're told not to do it, you want to do it? Romans 7 tells us about that. <laughs> so get back down and warn everybody because we're going to have a loss of a lot of life if we have a bunch of people that think, just like the, those that had offered strange fire and things like that, they had no right to do that. And folks, let me just say, we need... To obey the word of God and do what God says and not interpret it our way and, and think we can come to God on our own terms. We live in a day which a, with a lot of Christianity is molded by cultural thinking and political correctness and is endeavoring to try to worship God through humanistic thinking. You cannot do that. You are going up into the mountain and have no right to be there, so to speak, using this analogy. No, we are to approach God according to what God has said. Now, isn't this an amazing chapter? And I'm going to end with this. On the one side, you're a peculiar treasure. I brought you out on eagle's wings. I've loved you. You're going to be a holy nation. Clearly, he said, I'm going to take care of you. You are going to be my people. Then he shows who he really is because he knew they had to learn the greatness of their God. And they had to learn to trust him. And what is the next chapter? The Ten Commandments. And in that context, immediately after this, this is what 
Moses gets from God. Directly, God wrote the very words of the Ten Commandments on uh, those stones. And so in the context of God choosing them to be a people, these Ten Commandments are His precious truths to us as a peculiar people and a treasure to Him and allowing us to to serve Him, obviously the nation of Israel and now us as individual believers. And uh, we've got to see that what God gives here is comes from the depths of His heart. So as we look at the Ten Commandments and the other teachings for the theocracy of Israel, let's realize that God was preparing and, and, and using this so that they could be a powerful testimony of who God is and what God can do. And so I trust that we'll understand this matter of being a Christian is a big deal, isn't it? And can you remember where this is talked about in the New Testament? I'm not going to take time to go there right now. Hebrews chapter 12. It's given directly to us about what happened at Mount Sinai. But aren't you thankful that, as it says there in 12, we now have a new hope in Jesus Christ. And uh, so we'll be looking at...